Hello everyone, this is Dr. Shiloh. We are dropping part two of our conversation with the men of the End of Watch podcast. Not only is the content very important, but we thought it important to give some additional insight into the world of law enforcement while we're taking time to work on another project. Hopefully you've already listened to part one in episode 44. This was recorded before the current civil unrest, so we don't address that directly. We also discuss the drinking culture in law enforcement, make comparisons to the military, and I briefly talk about my officer-involved shootings. Please note that in each of my shootings, no suspects were injured by gunfire. The only person physically injured was my partner who was shot and survived. If you want to continue the conversation with us, please join us on Get Vocal this Saturday at 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Thanks. Yeah, and you're. I think you're hitting on something that's so important is that it's not always just about one aspect of the job. You know, there's one thing, and we can all relate to it. You know, like you were talking about seeing the undercover guys, and it's like, oh yeah, that's that's the shit. That that is really cool. Those guys walking in with that. And you know, I have a I have a, a close relative who is a much younger man, and he is in the military, and he is heading towards. The, the elite part of his military division. That is his goal. And one of the most valuable experiences I think he had was visiting with another family friend who is long, like career military, in his 60s, retired. And, you know, they spent quality time together, you know, because here he's got my, my friend is able to learn at the feet of this expert. And I was so happy to hear that the expert said, look, this is a great life. But don't think that, you know, there's balance everywhere. So you will be giving up something for the next 20 years of your life. Will it be worth it? It was worth it for me. But there are things that I will never have as a result of it. And I know that's an extreme military example, but I think law enforcement, I wish there was some way that we could explain that to people. I mean, one of the, since, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty open about having previously worked for a uh, sheriff's department. I won't say which one, but One of the things that was really frustrating for law enforcement that was taking that path is that your first few years is working in a jail and you're working in custody. And because we live in a huge metropolitan area, these guys and women were having, you know, they got into law enforcement because they want to be out in the field. They want to be on patrol. They want to be doing this work, what they were passionate about. And then they have to end up spending three and a half, four, five years being a jail guard, you know, that like, and it, yeah. so they come out as they not get a lot the of glamour in that one, right? There's not, and they're, they're bitter about it. So, I mean, I, I wish there was a way that we could prepare the people who were going in that said, yeah, this is, could be the greatest career in your life. And there is a balance and you need to make hard decisions about whether this is the right path for you. And I'm just not sure that's done in any law enforcement agency. I don't think it's done that way. It's not. And, and I think, one of the most uh, important aspects of having you guys out there to help with the men and women of law enforcement is to keep that balance. And then that balance helps with the transition, you know, when you finally get out of law enforcement. And Bootsy and I draw a lot of parallels between law enforcement and the military because there are for a man or woman who's in you know, is a career military person or career law enforcement. 
one of our other guests, Nick Kumalatsos, who has a great book called The Excommunicated Warrior. Uh, he was a uh, MARSOC guy with the Marines. And uh, when he was on our, our show with Jay Dobbins, and Nick said something that, that really hit home with me. He said, you know, if you're, if you're a pipe hitter, you know, you are in, you know, like you're a Marine, you're, you're a Navy SEAL, whatever you are, you're a cop, you know, you've gone through that career. But you can't make that transition into civilian life afterward. He said, that's pretty sorry because, you know, it, he was just trying to show that you have to, you have to, if you can't stay grounded during your career, that transition into civilian life after your career is going to be tough. That's might, exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. It might sound silly, but I'll tell you what, man, it is, it, it can be just this big, empty, vast yeah. Uh, when it's over, man, it, I yeah. mean, it was for me uh, for a little while. Uh, it's just over. The phone stops ringing. Mm -hmm. uh, the camaraderie's gone. And it, it can be a tough transition. But like Nick said to us, you know, that it shouldn't be that way. But I think that's why Dr. Scott, Dr. Shiloh, it's so important to have people like you to keep keep everybody kind of grounded and keep that balance throughout your career. And it'll be a smooth transition when you leave that career. Yeah. If they'll, I, if they'll I, listen to us. <laughs> I know, but I definitely at least try and plant that seed because, yeah. you know, even if not for retirement, if you are too wrapped up in just this one identity yep. and God forbid you get injured or you get fired, all of a sudden it's gone. You, you're not even planning for that retirement it can just be taken away from you at any moment. And it, it really, people need to broaden their, their identity roles, whether it's, you know, however in society, in, in your community and who you are as a person. And, and I hear people say like, you know, it was a calling, it's who I am, it's what I do. But if that's, that can be taken away from you. And so what do you, what's your backup plan for that? Yeah. Um, and, and, people need to start thinking about that earlier rather than later. You know, but, it, you our, our identity has multiple facets. And if you only have one facet that is polished and shining, then it, when, when that goes, when it's broken, what else is there? You know, you've got to start over 25 years in and find, I mean, I, you wouldn't believe how many cops I have conversations with. I go, well, what's your hobby? And there's no hobby. It's like, I work out and I go to work. Or it's the used to syndrome, like Kevin Gilmartin says. Oh, I used to play on a softball league, or I used, I used to, to play do this. music, or yeah, yeah. I used to go to church. I used to have all these aspects to my life, and they just let them fall away. And we understand why, because the hard charging life constantly keeps you hyper vigilant. Your adrenal glands are just squeezing nonstop for decades, and it's it's, it's, it's addictive, right? It's also oh, how you get to be very good at what you do. Right. right. Hey, Dr. Scott, you know what we called it? We called it living in the red. You know, on a car, you know, when those RPMs are in the red, that engine is going, at, you know, at top speed. Those pistons are churning. You can't maintain that forever, right? An engine will burn yeah. out. And, and you know, we, I, I lived in the red for too many years. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, people, I, I think the difference now is that people are listening to you guys. The, the need for you guys now, it's been realized. Uh, and unfortunately, it's been realized because people have been sticking guns in their mouths and pulling yeah. and, and And that's coming from someone who's been there. 
Yeah. yeah. And yeah. it's when it becomes a liability issue for big agencies, then, yeah. I mean, unfortunately, Hey, I'm glad, I'm glad, like you said, I'm glad that we're starting to do this, but it's sad that the reason it's happening is because of financial liability for a lot of agencies. But, you know, I, this part of the, the educational, I lecture, educational lectures I do on a regular basis, I have seen over the past four and a half years of doing these, a real shift. You know, the first year it was, I would go in and be 40 guys and women kicked back in their chair with their arms crossed and they're, you know, just can't like how many 40 fucking hours this week, I got to sit through 40 hours of this. And gradually over the years that has completely shifted the new officers coming in they have a vocabulary you know you can be critical of gen x and gen y and gen z i mean you can be critical of all them i mean we're i'm gen x but um all those younger generations but i'll tell you this they got an emotional vocabulary and they're the first ones now you know four years ago i'd say okay who who here has a mentally ill relative that you're willing to share not a single hand would go up now you got people raising their hands going, yeah, my sister's oh, yeah. got schizophrenia. It's, it's devastated our family, but we do the best. Hey, my, my mom, you know, is bipolar. We never knew it until she was in her forties. Now we have to deal with medication. And just even that they're willing to have those conversations now is so incredibly valuable compared to just a handful of years ago where nobody wanted to talk about it. I love the millennials. Half of my caseload are millennials. They're like, heck yeah, all my friends go to therapy. I live in LA. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I need help with this. It's well, like well, nothing to them. You know, the bottom line, uh, in my opinion, you guys make better cops. If I could, you know, if I could go back now, I would, I would be a better cop. You know, I've, I've gone through counseling now and I would be a better, you guys make better cops. You can't be a great cop when you're angry and bitter and in the red because you don't have the perspective. And what you guys do is you, you allow law enforcement to have more of a perspective, a grounded perspective. You can't have that when you're in the red, man. You just right. You know, I, and building on what you're saying is I, I want to reflect back that, you know, mental health professionals are human too. And, and we have just as many failings and shortcomings and foibles as anybody else except possibly more dangerous, like in, in your, you know, you guys can be dangerous physically. We can be dangerous mentally and emotionally if we use our superpowers for evil. And, right. you know, one of the things that, that bugs me um, sometimes, I don't work with any of them now, but in the past I have worked with mental health professionals in this conjunctive position with law enforcement where I've turned to a clinician and I've said, you're not a cop. You are not a cop you are a psychologist, stay in your lane. Right. We can't help them unless we know who we are. And if you want to go be a cop, go be a cop, you know, don't bleed over. And it's, I think, I think that this is, you know, just now since we're kind of bringing it into the common vernacular and we're actually saying like, Hey, cops out there might actually want to speak to us. I think that mental health professionals have a responsibility to step up and understand that that division as well because they can get pulled into a power trip themselves sure no and it's that's a that is a i'm glad you said that because it's it's a dangerous line you know and, yeah. and that's where people in, and i'm not saying this judgmentally at all i'm just saying as an observation the thing is it takes a lot of discipline because there's a lot of responsibility when somebody's when somebody's turning all that over to you and you know, they're exposing vulnerability and, and those types of things. 
you know, to get wrapped up. The thing about law enforcement is it's extremely glamorous. When you're talking to Lou Velozzi and you're talking to Jay Dobbins and you're talking to Chris Bayless and you're talking to the, you know, Victor Avila, who these guys are any, any names that people recognize, you know, they've done some heroic and exciting stuff. We write books about it. We make movies and we make up TV shows because it's so glamorous. You get so wrapped up in that, but those are real people. You know, the, yeah. the guys, I mean, Andy Sipowitz and Bobby Simone and, <laughs> you know, I'm dating myself with NYPD blue, but <laughs> any of that, those, those are, you know, those are not real people. That's all scripted. But the names I just mentioned, those are real guys. Those are real guys who go home to family at night. Right. Right. So helping them adjust and, and get back to uh, some type of normalcy in a life. You know, we are talking about Nick Kumulatsos and the way he talks about reintegrating into your regular life. We spent so much time trying to be the toughest, the baddest guys on the streets who make the best cases, who at the end, when you walk into roll call, I wanted everybody looking at me like, oh, that kid's going to do it today. You know, it, that was, it's one yeah. of those things where when you're in a group of alpha males or female, you know, when you're in that alpha world, you're trying to be the alpha of alphas. And mentally, you know, like I said, that's very attractive to people. So I, I can see easily when you're sitting down uh, with folks getting wrapped up in that. You know, especially when they're telling you things that you've probably not seen in your, you know, when, when was the last time as a psychologist did you wrestle with a bad guy and fight over a gun? Right. I'm not saying it does. I'm not saying it doesn't or can't happen, but it doesn't happen as often as it does uh, on the street. Yeah, absolutely. I think in the first half today, you know, we've talked about some of the the massive stuff like traumatic incidents and critical incidents and suicide. And so much of why people come to see me isn't that. It actually isn't the job. It's just the life stuff. And it's really interesting because if, if, if you truly, truly wanted to be like a stats nerd and break down the um, suicide statistics, actually, it's not much different from the general public. You know, we hear that law enforcement, it's really high. And in actuality, it's high for what we would expect because we screen you, right? You go through a psych screening. We hire the healthiest people, the people without mental health problems. It's something that's happening afterwards to, to make it where it is that high. Um, and, and generally, I mean, the number one reason people come in is, is relationship issues. Um, but it's all kinds of stuff, finances and, you know, problems with their kids and problems with their, their family and just other types of relationships, not just romantic or the substance abuse stuff. But it's, it, I can say that it's related probably to the job and that bleed over, but it's not generally like all that trauma stuff that we're talking about for the regular like patrol. Well, what, what is great for the, the agency I was with as a law enforcement psych, one of the things that was great was the, 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 the rules about critical incidents. If you were involved in an officer involved shooting, if you were involved in a critical incident, it was just black and white. You were going for a debriefing with mental health and there's no way around it. Every, nobody got out of it. 
And since it was a general rule, it became like a regular thing. And then those are the ways we would get people, you know, who, like you were giving examples earlier, uh, that want to minimize and diminish what actually happened right there at the scene and what they witnessed. And if this is now because they've been required to come in to debrief on, in the hands of a good clinician, we open up the door and like Shana, Shiloh said, we plant that seed I'd, to, I'd to be... op- have them come back. And I mean, over and over again, it would be successful with them. Yeah. You know what? I'm going to come back for a couple of sessions. I want to talk some more to you about this. And no, I'd be curious to see, I would be curious to see how that works. Uh, you know, cause I'm not a psychologist, you know, I, I don't, I understand the concept of it. Uh, I, I think therapy uh, can be extremely effective. But when I'm thinking back, you know, in the heart of my career, you know, when I was running and gunning, I don't, and believe me, you know, sitting and talking to, you know, like Marla Freeman and, and talking to you guys, you know, I could see where the skill and the craft of getting people to, when I said, I just, it's very difficult to me to picture myself sitting down and being like, you know what, I I had to do A, B, and C, and this really bothered me. You know, it really, I, I think the only time in my career where I could have done that was really towards the end of it. Uh, you know, we worked, our homicide unit worked death investigations. So no, no matter what the case was, if it were a suicide, if it were a natural death, we would go, you know, rule out any foul play, that kind of stuff. But, uh, you know, well, it's all in the wording, you know, we would never say, Hey, so did that bother you? Yeah. It would be, you know, how often do you find that family breaking down after you have to tell them about a deceased loved one, you know, how often is that sticking with you and, uh, and giving you uh, examples and kind of walking you through it. And, and I could, I could, like I said, I could definitely see how it could work. It's just, yeah. like I said, I mean, I, I'm, I've become extremely honest with myself thinking, you know what? Yeah. I, I would lean this way or lean that way. But it, like I said, I think the only times like, uh, I, they used to call it SID, sudden infant death mm-hmm. syndrome. I, I don't know what they call it now. Uh, but that's one that, you know, I could never wrap my head around it because there really is no explanation for it. Right. Why is, that's scary. Why is, yeah, why is this baby dead? You know, I don't know. But I spent my career trying to figure out how this happened. You know, this is yeah. what I want to do. But sitting down and talking about that, I, I think at that point I could have. But a fight on the street? You know, which to me uh, is far more mentally and emotionally taxing because everybody thinks that uh, cops want to go out and beat people up and they want they want to go out and do that stuff. And it's exciting. Uh, it's definitely the thing that gets uh, the attention. You know, you see it covered in the media and that kind of stuff. But now looking back on it all these years later, you know, what troubles me the most about my career is all the, and you know, the majority, all of them, uh, the people that I fought with on the street, they were all men, young men. The things that, you know, when I look back, I'm thinking, what could I have done to prevent that? Put my hands on that, you know, punching an 18 year old kid in his head. Now he's going for his gun. He's trying to, 
you know, do all the wrong things, but I, I still feel bad about having to do all that. And I then be, you put them in more, jail. Yeah. I'd be more worried when you didn't feel some kind of reaction to it, you know, because that's an extraordinary situation. You're, you well, are. And, and I don't, a, and I, I haven't met anybody and I've worked with a lot of, you know, it, we'll call them cavemen. You know, I've worked with a lot of people who me like to lump heads and all that kind of stuff. But I don't know one of them that ever felt good about having to put their hand on people. Right. And I think, and I think the general public would be exceptionally surprised by that. I think so I don't, too. I don't think they, I don't think they realize how taxing that is on uh, a law enforcement professional. And yet every experience is unique to the person. You know, there might be fights that yeah. you really didn't feel anything for. I mean, I remember fighting um, in the street. Uh, with my partner for, with the guy with a gun. And afterwards, I mean, I can only describe it as exhilaration. You know, it, it, I don't think it sunk in enough for me to really have that level of fear. And it, it was, it, my partner and I had very different experiences, which is a really interesting illustration because he actually didn't know that I had secured the weapon when I had, um, and so he was still in this heightened state of fear where mine had come down a little bit. And so we were, afterwards, we were two different places. Um, but then, same thing, like one of my shootings, I was like, oh my God, this was the funnest thing in the world. This is, this is why I became a cop. And mm -hmm. the second one wasn't even <laughs> as terrible as some that I've heard. And I wouldn't wish it on anyone because it was the most fear I'd ever felt in my entire life. So, and, and I think that's, that's one of the things that people do and it really yeah. drives yeah. me nuts when, when you get around people and they're like, Oh man, I know exactly how I would react in combat. There's that always, always that one. Oh, yep. God. And he's no, never had any experience. And, and you know what? <laughs> and there, there are, there are psychs that will take that same position, which is infuriating to me. Oh. I mean, Shiloh's way in, you know, that opens the door for her to work with so many law enforcement is that she was a cop you know, and she, she gets it. She gets that lifestyle. I wasn't. In fact, I lived the, the most opposite life ever from, from law enforcement in my early years. But I also released my ego and I introduced myself and I say, look, I'm here. I've got a bunch of letters after my name. I've got a bunch of training. I give a shit, but I am not the expert in your experience. You are the expert in your experience. And I'm going to be on this walk with you. We're, we're, we're on this road together. I do have some expertise in this, this, and this that I think might be able to help you if you want to work on that. Because I know that if I go in there ball buster, like, hey, I know more than you about this because I know this technique and this theoretical orientation. I'm I know not, how you yeah. should feel. Good luck with that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, and, you but, guys... but we also know people that do that. And it just, yeah. uh, you just want to pull your hair out. It's so frustrating. You know, you guys, I mean, have the right approach and, and that's, you know, that that's why you're good at what you do because that is what is needed now. Bootsy and I have said this before on a podcast, times have changed. You know, there's Dirty Harry would not last a week on the job, you know, in this day and age. Things, times are different. Well, they're uh, more complex, right? They're yeah, way right. more complex than they've ever been. Absolutely. You cannot be out there and you know, confrontation is part of law enforcement, right? If you are not willing to to put yourself into violent confrontations, you need to quit, right? I mean, this is not the job yeah. for you. 
That is part of law enforcement, violent confrontation. It's going to happen. I don't care if you're working out in the middle of nowhere or inner city, violent confrontation is part of this job. It will happen. But times have changed. The days of Dirty Harry are over. You can't shoot your way out of every situation and beat everybody up. Uh, you know, you have to handle yourself differently. And, and I believe rightfully so. Uh, and when you look at, you know, the mindset of a police officer now has to be different. You're, you're, you have so many different responsibilities now. You're not just enforcing the law. You yourself are somewhat of a, a counselor, a negotiator, Absolutely. a litigator, an arbitrator. Um, you know, when you look back at the movies, which were very, which represented what cops were, remember, uh, lethal weapon, you know, it, it was like a big joke with Riggs and Murtaugh. Remember the, uh, the police psychologist. Oh, that poor woman. Yeah, right. <laughs> She's terrified the whole time. <laughs> yeah, and they made it kind of a joke. But it, right. But, and I'll say it again. Nobody's laughing now because it's, right. it's, it's not a joke. It's, it's very serious. And it, it's, I'll just say this again. It makes you a better cop when, when, you're, when you're not feeling right in the head and there's going to come a point when you're not to go talk to a trained professional. It will make you a better cop. Sorry to cut you off, but uh, you said it. You said it. It's sad that it's become prominent. It's sad that it's become uh, an important thing for agencies to look at because of the liability. But the only thing I'll say to that is I don't care why it came about. The fact that it's come about and there's a spotlight on it is great. Yeah. You know, the, the high liability issues, what they spend all the time on training, shooting, uh, high speed drive, you know, EVOC, uh, emergency right. vehicle operations courses and that kind of stuff. Your, your longest classes in mandate and that kind of stuff. They're all to that and defensive tactics because that's where injuries come and it's all at liability. I, I think mental health and dealing with yourself and your partners on this job is equally as important as all of those things. And I, thankfully, I think there's a trend where we're actually heading that way. I think so as well. Yeah, and actually targeting what is most problematic um, for the person, for the officer. So suicide, obviously, um, is up there. The The alcohol and the pill abuse is off the charts. And um, again, just to you know, put a spotlight on, on the agency that I work for. We have an entire chemical dependency unit that works with us. So we have two sworn officers, actually one of them. I'm going to have to give a shout out to Mike. He loves you guys. I turned him onto your podcast and he's a detective <laughs> sergeant that it's about to retire this year. Um, but it, it's, it's two sworn officers who are in recovery themselves and they get people into treatment. They have gone back to school and we've paid for them to be counselors, uh, substance abuse counselors. And they get cold calls from people. They get people who have had DUIs and come in to see both us and them at the direction of the department. But it's the, the amount of clientele that they're able to help out just shows me obviously the need that's there because people are still getting in trouble for alcohol related incidents left uh, and right. That's, it's, it's never going to stop, un unfortunately. I mean, we're such a culture. Yeah. I happen to be a subject, ma subject matter expert on that. Is, can, I, can I pound my chest here and brag, Dr. Shiloh, on something? Yes. So when I was at my worst point, actually, Dr. Scott, it was when I was in uh, Huntsville in timeout. 
I was drinking a bottle of Tito's a day. Oof. Yeah. I love Tito's, but a bottle yeah. a day. Wow. Wow. Uh, he, he's an impressive drinker. I, I got to give him that. He's also, you want to talk about peer support? I don't think, it, so I've been sober for five years. And I don't think there's been a day in that five years that Lou hasn't offered me a drink. Nice job, Bootsy. Good job he, for you, though. Lou knows that the liver's a muscle and you have to work it out. No, it's part of the culture, the, the drinking culture yeah. that comes with law enforcement and military and... Um, the DUIs are, it's really interesting because, um, at my department, they have to come see us when they get a DUI and I, I don't have numbers to back this up, but just anecdotally, I talk about how I usually see two things going on. One, it's, I don't know if it's ego or just denial or what they just never thought it could happen to them. And, yeah. and I've had, I've had. 30, you know, guys with 30 years on that are lieutenants that get their first DUI and they come in and they're like, doc, I've been an alcoholic since I was in the military before I was a cop, you know, decades and decades. And this is the first time that I've gotten in trouble. No, and, and I tell you this, I, I, uh, when I get the opportunity to speak to folks, that's, that's one of the biggest things. Right? Yeah. The, you know, and this is not the days where like CHP gives you a pass anymore. It's like, hey, oh, I'll no. take you home. <laughs> like that should oh, no. not happen. That's over. So you're getting oh, no, no good guy, you know, favors. No, uh, there's, but there's none of that. It, it's it's not allowed anymore. And, and right. the thing is, is my mentality, you know, people were like, oh, you thought you were above the law. I never thought that. Never once. Mm -hmm. I knew exactly what the consequences would be. What I did think is it'll never happen to me. Yep. I'm too good at this. Yep. There's yeah. no way I'm going to, you know, the same thing that made me good at my job was extremely destructive. Yeah. Extremely. Yeah. Because there was, was nothing I couldn't do. And one of the skills that, that y'all develop so well is this ability to compartmentalize aspects of your life. So e even though you're consciously aware that this is a problem, you can wrap that little emotional box up and you can put it, I'm not going to put mm -hmm. it in the attic. I'm going to put it over here in the periphery of my vision. I know it's there and I, I can handle it, but it keeps moving. You know, it, it's just this, yeah. you, you keep, it's, I, I find this with law enforcement all the time that they're moving the chess pieces around. I mean, I think that we all do it, you know, but these virtual emotional chess pieces just keep getting moved around and I'll deal with it when I deal with it. And it all kind of comes back to, like this, this metaphor that I like to use is that, you know, as early as possible in your life, you need to have a, a virtual toolbox at your side all the time. Your go-to for stress and for loneliness and sadness can't be just exercise. Or and vodka. Or alcohol. Or, or vodka. <laughs> yeah. It can't be just one thing. It has to be an entire spectrum, a whole menu of things that you can go to. And I, I also think that that's sort of an indictment of some of the things that have gone on in our, in Western culture in the past few generations is that we don't emphasize that. We don't tell, we don't let kids be bored. You know, we overstimulate children very early yeah. and we don't let them, boredom is fantastic for kids. Is it unpleasant? It's fucking unpleasant, but it's a great <laughs> skill because they learn to self-soothe and we have more and more that have, don't have that skill. And we're, you know, our generation are, you know, we're guilty of it as well. 
but you know, like I'll be doing my lectures to the guys and they're like, yeah, I, my go-to is, is exercise. I actually, you know, I'm a hardcore workout guy. Well, yeah, you blow out your knee. What are you going to do then? Right. You I know, see it all the time with start, people that are IOD. You're going to start drinking. Yeah. Um, the um, other, the other thing I wanted to get back to just real quick that I also notice is that they just didn't have a plan and, and it can be the, the guy that legitimately does not have a drinking problem, but gets popped because he drove when he shouldn't have. And if people would just make plans of how they're going to get somewhere or get home from somewhere or stay wherever they're at, that's half, half the battle. I'm like, you guys, there's Uber. It exists. It's like, Oh no. And the, the worst yeah. part, the worst part about that is okay. Is we spent, and I was not a big DUI guy. That was not my thing. Traffic was, you know, that, you know, there's different types of cops. Same. Some yeah. people love yeah. traffic. Some people love whatever. That was definitely not my thing, but you know, having got out of the army, I still had buddies that were in. And because I was with the police department, they would invite me to come speak to their troops for their weekend, you know, safety briefing. And I would go and I would tell these soldiers, it's not worth it. Get a designated driver, do all the, you know, and I would tell them all the right things to do. Mm -hmm. And then I wouldn't do them myself. And it wasn't because it wasn't available to me. It was that, you know, I, part of it was ego. It was, yeah. you know, this, it's not going to happen to me, but Dr. Scott, you said it, you know, you compartmentalize. Okay. That's not, that's not something I'm going to deal with today. I'm just going to put it over here. Yeah. Eventually maybe I should get, you know, if I, and I never admitted, I didn't know drinking was a problem for me until the day I told myself I had to stop. Mm -hmm. When I told myself I could never drink again, that was a real problem. Yeah. That was a real problem. And it, and it kicked me right, you know, it kicked me right in the, uh, solar plexus it was one of those things where talk about a come to jesus moment i was laying on the couch in my I, you know i can still remember it but, but I'd, but i'd also want to give you credit because you know there are many people that reach that point and keep going yeah. oh, oh i know keep, oh. they just keep going so something about who you are or whatever whatever facility you had within yourself or maybe one of the packages started leaking is like you're like no i don't want to feel this way anymore this is a problem. Yeah, I no, I it was. I don't wake up like this. Yeah. It was bad enough, and and the thing is, like I said, you know, in rehab, everybody calls it your bottom and all that kind of stuff, and and some people's bottoms are so much worse than others. I'm so thankful every day that my bottom. But I, I will tell you, it was my, pretty low, Bootsy. Don't underestimate it. <laughs> yeah, no, it was like I said, dude. I don't do anything half-assed. If you if you're gonna get a DUI, you know. I did it in my unmarked uh, patrol vehicle or my unmarked vehicle. So that's what made it a huge issue for me. But had I not gotten caught, had I not wrecked that night, had that not happened to me, you know, given the projection of my career, I would have been a lieutenant. I would have been a captain. And then when that accident happened, I would have killed somebody. Yeah. It would have been me. It would have been uh, an innocent motorist. It would have been all that stuff. And Dr. Scott, when you, when you said that you, you really touched the nerve when you said, you know, you compartmentalize. All right. Uh, we always refer to uh, folks like us as warriors. Okay. So in the warrior field, the warrior ethos, you know, it has a lot to do with honor, you know, and I always prided myself on being an honorable guy. So part of that is integrity. Part of that is doing the right thing. You know, integrity, the army says it's uh, doing the right thing even when no one's looking. Well, when nobody was looking, 
I was doing some dumb shit. I was drinking and driving, you know, all, all those bad behaviors and that kind of stuff. And were they brought on by uh, things that I had been through and seen professionally and all that kind of stuff? Yeah. But, you know, Lou and I talk about it often. The thing is, we, we don't offer that as an excuse. That none of that, uh, none of those incidents, none of our experiences excuse any of our bad behaviors. Okay? But what they do do is they serve as an example. You know, they show that's just an illustration of, you know, doing the wrong thing. It's never going to be an okay. But the reasons we did them, they're important, you know, because if you don't address those issues within yourself, they will catch up with you. And, and like I said, I, I'm, uh, I don't like being the shining example. I don't like being the poster boy for, you know, good cops who do dumb shit and, and uh, it catches up with them. But I'll champion it now if it helps the next guy. You well, know, that's also, I, you're, you're talking about really truly being an adult. You know, what we used to say, I mean, mm-hmm. and, and if it was 30 years ago, I would say, well, you're being a man. And, and that, that would, you know, not include women who are in this situation. But that's really what truly being an adult is. An adult is someone who can sit with the hard truths of who they are internally and realize that the world is, is, is infinite shades of gray. And we are infinite shades of gray and every part of that is valuable. And every micro moment of every day, we have choices in front of us. And when we're mindful and aware of those choices, then we continue to be adults and we see who we can be in the world around us as opposed to, you know, a a hard charger and that's all you are. You know, you're just an adrenaline junkie, you know? The ironic part of that is, you know, I can tell you in July of 2014, I was all man. I was, you know, I was a man's man. I was this, that, and the other thing on the surface. Okay. But I was letting myself get away with so much just dumb shit. I was not a good father to my son. I was not a good husband to my wife. I was not, I was not good at a lot of things, but you know, I was good. The one thing that I had for a little while was I was good at being a police officer, but now being able to look back on that, you know, I, I think uh, I, I think that's what makes End of Watch. I, I think that's what makes our podcast so effective is we have the credibility of our professional careers, but we also have the credibility of our spectacular fuck ups. You know that we can stand <laughs> and, and it. say we've We're done it. Yeah. I I want to come back to compartmentalization because it, it's one of those things, just like what we call black and white thinking um, that works really well for the job that you're doing. And in the moment, in the job, it can be the thing that you have to do to, to keep yourself together, to, to finish the call, to save um, your life, to save, to save your life. If it's a life or death situation. Yeah. It's, it's things that even, even not in just like a a life or death situation, but if it Mm -hmm. means like keeping your head on a swivel to, see any danger that's coming your way, that hypervigilance, all of those things that are great for work don't transition well to the home life. And <laughs> no, no, they don't. That, <laughs> that is why people come and see me for relationship issues as the yeah. number one. Um, because it's so hard to transition out of that. I mean, you have to stop and think about it first. Like, okay, I need to take this hat off and leave it there and not take it home and 
interrogate my child or, you know, have command presence with my wife or whatever. Um, Cause those things aren't going to go over so hot. You know, uh, I, I tell you what, Dr. Shelley, and again, I keep going back to other guests we've had, who, but he pretty great. much said what you said in a different way. Uh, Nick Kumalatsos and check out Excommunicated Warrior when you get a chance. Cause it's a cool book. We're huge on plugging books. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, he, no, remember what he said, Bootsy? He said something about, he. it wasn't him. It was this cop friend of his who came home and, you know, he had, he had had a day, man. I mean, you know, whatever it was, I mean, he was in, in a fist fight and I mean, just life threatening situation. He walked through his door and his wife like immediately started the, the printer didn't work today. Like right. she was doing something and the printer wouldn't work. And he said it kind of made him adjust. He was like, okay. So in context, you know, in her, for her day, like that was a huge thing. Exactly. You gotta be, you gotta be able to, to recognize that. Right. And, and sympathize and get out of your zone for a minute. Right. And realize that, that, you know, what we're doing, it's not, I mean, it, yes, it's important, but, Everything is important, not just what we do. Well, doing. and what great awareness for him to stop and say that. Because I hear most p- wives that <laughs> I see are like, he's like, fuck your printer. Do you know what I saw today? You know, and just completely up, dismisses her. He picked up the printer and threw it against the wall. Right, <laughs> right. And and that's it. It's it's making that transition and not not to dismiss the importance of what they're doing in their work every day. And And that's that's going back to the toolbox Scott was talking about, you know, having the friends and the social support that you can talk to about the job and that you don't have to talk about details, you know, you don't have to talk about gory things, but having a good toolbox of social support is so huge because you want to share whatever you're comfortable sharing with your spouse or your family, but then, you know, you don't go to the same person for everything. You need to have a, a vast, vast pool to pick from. You know, one of the ways I, one of the avenues or the pathways that led me to where I am today in this career is, you know, I was trying to transition. I was trying to figure out what, what do I do at this point in my life with the education I had already, but I was just lost. And the, the, I was in some long-term hardcore therapy with a really fantastic therapist. And he said, you know, I'm taking a chance here, but I really think you should consider this field. And I was like, Fuck no. <laughs> I am sick of listening to my self-talk. I don't know how you do it. And then you have six more of me coming in. Fuck that. And he said, no, no, you look, here's the thing. That's, that's what this career is about is you learn how to place it. This stuff is your stuff. I'm here with you, but I shake this off at the end of the day and sorry to burst your bubble, but I'm not thinking about you all weekend. Right. And, <laughs> and you know, and then, you know, fast forward, Shiloh and I are dealing, we're dealing with some really hardcore stuff and working with sex offenders. And we had a fantastic supervisor that emphasized it even more. She said, you have to shake this stuff off. Yeah. Do not carry it home with you. It will destroy you. Oh, you and can't. You so, can't drag that stuff home. No, 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 no. You can't. It'll affect every aspect of your life. And so, be just kind of tying it back to where we started this conversation is. In our field, we're told that from the first day of grad school is you need you have to be able to shake this stuff off. 
Mm-hmm. And you, we're going to teach you how to do it. And your trainers are going to teach you how to do it. And your supervisor are going to teach you how to do it. But I don't know if anybody does that for law enforcement. Does anybody what? say, shake it off at the end of the day and here's how you do it other than a bottle of Tito's? Like, Well, they, they say it, okay? It, it was said from the first day in the academy, like, look, being a cop is a job. But, you know, at the end of the day, you leave that at home. That, but they don't train you how to do it. Right. They, right. Definitely, yeah, they definitely do not... But the the thing is, like I said, and I think it's true of most law enforcement, I would venture, you know, and I'm being a little confident in saying that, you know, once you start specializing and you get into, you know, that that alpha type, those elite units and that type of stuff, you really think you are somebody, you know, you build yourself up, you become good at what you do by, you know, training yourself, I'm this good, I'm this this is what I am. This is what I can do. But the thing is, you lose touch with the fact that everybody else is somebody special too, you know. And and like I said, that identity once it goes away, that's a crushing. That to me, that's what PTSD is. It's you know, knowing you're never going to be that awesome again. I yeah. I sit, you know, yeah. and now I draw cartoons uh, for a series of children's books now. And I laugh about it because, you know, 10 years ago, if you'd told me that I'm like, what? I'm drawing, I'm drawing little pictures. So I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. And if you would, if you had had access to that part of your, your creativity as an outlet, things might've been different. I, and I, you know, 102% agree with you on that. But if I knew then what I know now, but that being said, I'm just, you know, seri- in all seriousness, I'm glad you're here where you are. You know, I mean, like I, my- Well, look any, how you like guys was, are giving back just through this platform. Oh, it's absolutely. Awesome. Absolutely. Just Great. normalizing this experience for so many law enforcement is just unbelievably valuable. Unbelievable. Well, I usually only do it just so Lou has somebody to hang out with. No, that's that's very kind of you. <laughs> I, I'm always Sweet looking guy. for, I'm always looking for a new podcast host if you guys- Okay. I like Tito's. <laughs> hey, hey, Dr. Scott, let me tell you, that's funny that you say that, that you were, you were told by your therapist that you should get into that line of work as a patient. Because one time I told a bad guy, I said, man, you should be a cop. You would have been, <laughs> you would have been the best cop who ever walked the streets because nobody could get over on this guy you know unfortunately he was, wow. a, he was a felon so it wasn't an option but yeah same situation and I, thought that too. I was like man this guy would have been a great cop because you saw something in him you actually Absolutely. saw what talents and and i'll you know i i i, I every couple of years you know i'll go in for a tune-up with with my therapist for a couple of weeks at a time and and say you know i got to work on this and peel this onion while i'm here for the next few weeks but damn, thanks a lot, because <laughs> I would never have known. I mean, 15 years, well, no, going 18 years ago, I would never have, never have thought I'd be doing this. And it's I'm thinking your tune-ups are a little bit different than our tune-ups. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> yes. Probably. Hey, well, man, I'm glad you guys are both doing it, and that's for sure. It's, it's, no, and it, you're it, doing it God's really work, is, man. Yes. No, it's, it's appreciated, because, it, I mean, like I said, it, it's too late for Lou and I, but the good that you guys can do for the people coming behind us. And, you know, I've written about it. I've talked about, you know, in this day and age of post Ferguson. So anything past the Ferguson, Missouri incident, why anybody would volunteer, raise their hand uh, to become a cop. 
is yeah. just crazy for me. So the fact okay. that there is, uh, you know, and Captain Dale Dye, who is a, a guest of ours, United States Marine Corps, uh, Vietnam vet, you know, uh, holds his own in Hollywood now, but he said it, he's like, you know, there, there is this next generation of people who are going to do it. They're going to pick up the charge and they're going to go and do it. And I have all the admiration in the world that they do that, but I don't think they can do it without uh, professionals like y'all. Oh, well, thank you. That, it, it's, it really is the best job ever. I mean, I, once I finally got into it, I'm like, this, this is the best kept secret in psychology, or it's just perfect for me feeling like all of my experience has come full circle and it feels like home it really does. And I was got to as well. Cool. I know, I, was, I know. I Scott, let me know about the, the job opening. opening. <laughs> you have to go do it. You have to go do it. Hey, well, listen, guys, even though Bootsy said it's too late for us, I'll take some sessions if you guys want to give them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. too late. I, I'm it's not licensed in Georgia. <laughs> this has been a lot of fun. I this think we've gone great, a good guys. amount of time here. Awesome. Was there anything else you guys wanted to touch on? Well, we, we always close our show, uh, you know, remembering the folks that have gone before us. And Lou, we, we've done it before, but I'm, I'm going to touch on it again uh, and just say, you know, to the officers, uh, agents, corrections officers, probation, parole, for all the folks that are out there today uh, dealing with this COVID um, 19 and dealing with the craziness really that it's brought out in people you know I, I just want to thank everybody that's out here doing it for us uh and most importantly I, I think uh the fraternal order police has the number of online uh line of line of duty deaths directly related to COVID-19 is up to 77 yeah. Uh, God rest your souls. Thank you for uh, putting yourselves out there so the rest of us can get through this. Yeah, I'll echo that, Bootsy. You know, we usually pick an officer, an individual officer or agent who's died in the line of duty to to remember to say their name, to keep them alive. But uh, I think today is a good good day. Good. This is a great episode and show just to say, uh, you know, God bless all of the law enforcement officers who have lost their lives uh, during this this uh, COVID pandemic, and uh, just I I pray for everyone's safety who's out there on the front lines. Yeah, it's it's a very you know we talked about a lot of unique situations and stressors that they deal with, and this is one um, unlike anyone probably could have ever imagined having to face in a career, Man. even knowing you're an essential critical employee. Yep. It's still different different ball game. One of the things that's that's I'm really glad you're making this dedication. And one of the things that makes it difficult for me is I can't imagine being in those officers' positions when there is such divisiveness about about where resources should go and whether or not you should be going to the beach. And it's just very clear, like everybody's got to do their freaking duty to keep our country safe and keep each other and our loved ones safe. And, um, you know, law enforcement is out there on the front lines doing just that and i wish i wish there were some citizens that would would pull in line and help help in that endeavor as well amen thank you very much for having us on Absolutely. thanks guys